0: Man, you know, when you go on vacation, I literally, uh, I'm a list guy. I like to-do lists, and I have, uh, I think, three to-do list apps on my phone. Uh, and uh, even packing, you know, I've got a to-do list, and I have, uh, depending on where I'm going in the world, what I will be packing, and, uh, you know, you check it off, and, you know, and but then when you have kids, you're, you've got their list, and make sure they bring a toothbrush, and, you know, a change of clothing, and blah, 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 and it just, the getting readiness part is incredible. It's, you need a vacation, getting ready for vacation, you know what I mean? And it feels like our whole lives we're getting ready for something. Have, have you thought about that? I mean, like you had to get ready for, uh, um, you know, church this morning. Some of you could have done a better job of getting ready for church. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, you're going to go home. You're going to fix lunch. You got to get that ready. You got to get the kids ready. You got I mean, there's just, there's there's always something to get ready for. And that is very much the the central theme of our conversation today. From a spiritual point of view, there is a readiness that Christ calls us to. But it is, a, it is a distinction in our faith as Christians. And I think it's important for us as believers in Christ to review these distinctions from time to time because it's important to share how we differ from other faiths. And I believe that that is true for other faiths. The The prominent thinking these days is that all roads lead to the same God. But if you ask a devout Buddhist, they would disagree with that. If you ask a devout uh, Muslim, they would disagree with that. If you ask a devout Hindu, they would disagree with that. That comes from a very uh, uninformed position. If If you ask any person who is devout to their faith, they would be able to tell you the distinctions. So when it comes to readiness, many faiths around the world are getting ready for the afterlife. It is a common theme for any faith to prepare yourself for what comes after your last breath. The distinction of Christianity is that not only are we preparing for the afterlife, but we're preparing for Christ to come back to us. See, there's no faith present in all of history that prepares itself for their faith leader to come back. And the reason is very simple, is that every faith leader who has lived throughout history is laying in a grave somewhere. They can't come back. But Jesus comes back and can promise to come back and gets us ready to come back for him to come back. Because he is no longer laying in a tomb. Christ, the resurrection of Christ, changes the entire game. In other words, Christ alone has the credentials to say, get ready, I'm coming back, because he's not in a grave. Does that make sense? Super important. So when Jesus says, hey, I want you to get ready, because I'm coming back, he has every basis to be able to to make that statement. Built into getting ready is also a sense of warning that what happens when you're not ready. I'm typically not a last-minute person, but am deeply bugged by people who are, Just, just, just throwing it out there. I don't get it. I don't get I don't get the like, oop, forgot that you know all that kind of you know, and I know some of you are that way that's that's perfectly fine. God loves you, I don't, but God does that's that's pretty that's awesome. But there's a sense that you that that Christ is saying not only are you to be ready, but don't be unready there's this there's a warning that that you don't know at what time things are going to change, what time the the clock is out, in fact. For, for whatever reason, this year I really got into the NBA Finals and the semifinals. I'm watching these, and I got my favorite team and everything. And so, you know, the NBA Finals kind of went by pretty quickly. Um, you have to win four out of seven games. If you win four up front, then you're out and, and you've won. And so that's exactly what happened this year with the Warriors, and they won four games in a row, and that's the end of the finals. But uh, there was a picture on game number one that went viral. Don't know if you saw it, but uh, it, this was the picture um, of LeBron James here on the left, uh, who played for the Cavaliers. And uh, allegedly, uh, his teammate standing here, uh, they only had a few seconds on the clock. Allegedly, uh, it was said that he thought the game was, uh, at, uh, you know, they were one uh, ahead. Uh, but they were actually tied. In other words, he needed to make a basket within those three or four valuable seconds, and he was in the backcourt just dribbling. And this was, you know, LeBron saying, Ah, what are you doing? So, from a weird point of view, I, I looked at this and I kind of saw Jesus, you know, <laughs> looking at us saying, Dude, come on! There's only like a few seconds left on the clock, and you're dribbling! I know, it's weird, but. <laughs> See, the thing is that Jesus constantly described to us that we don't know what the game clock, when it's going to end. And for that reason, he was saying, hey, live in such a way that the end of time and my coming is a barometer for you. So we end our conversations about imperative this week. And it's been, a, it's been a, I think, a necessary journey. In other words, these have been the things that are non-negotiable in our faith, things that Jesus he uses the word must. To see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Not, there's no in-between. To be uh, uh, um, uh, the great among you, you must become a servant. These were things that, like, this is, there's, there's no negotiating, there's no arm wrestling. This is just the way the, the, the reality is. So we end on this conversation and another bold statement, a non-negotiable statement from Jesus, that I believe that if we could capture this and live like this, then it would change the game for so many, Quite frankly, being uh, tenderly honest with with us as a family, I do find a lack of urgency uh, in the Christian culture in general. A lack of urgency. A lack of like, man, let's play. You know how it is in sports, like. Sometimes the, the, the athletes, they play like the last two minutes of the game like they could have played the entire game. You know how that is? You're, they're losing, and, man, they kick it in in the last two minutes, and like, dude, why didn't you play like this You know, in the first quarter or the first half or whatever it might be? And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to live. I'm not going to tell you the time because you'd, you'd pick it up in the last two minutes. I want you to live as if the game clock has got three seconds on it. And if we did, man, our faith would be a lot more exciting. Life would have different purpose. That person at work that bugs you wouldn't bug you so much. The things that we buy, the things that we don't buy, the choices that we make, immorality, and all those things would be changed if we knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is going to come back at 1104, and it's 1103 right now. So he makes this statement in Luke chapter 12 and verse 40. Luke chapter 12 and verse 40, another non-negotiable statement from Christ. And he says this, you must be ready. You'll notice he didn't use the word might. You might be ready. You might want to think about being ready. Perhaps you 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 could be ready. He said, no, you must be ready. You must live to be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. So in the scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus talks a lot. He describes this phenomena. Now, um, without getting into too many details, um, and again, if this kind of blows your mind, that's, that's all right. Uh, the, mind, the Bible is mind-blowing. But there are different levels of the coming of Christ and the, and the engagement of Christ, Christ, we're told, will take the church out. The timing of that has been argued across the centuries. There's a period of time that the Bible speaks of, seven years of tribulation. The mainstream evangelical point of view, which I happen to be in agreement with, uh, is the church, Christ comes and takes the church out before those seven years. Some people believe that, some Christians believe that that Christ is going to take the church out mid uh, in midway through that the mid tribulation mid trib I'm uh, before the tribulation pre trib mid trib and some people think the Christians are going to go all the way through it post trib some people are pan trib and then they believe it's just going to pan out at the end uh, no matter what today's purpose is not for us to argue about something that's been argued and debated for centuries but I, what I'm saying to you is that Christ describes there's a lot of descriptions as to how and to what this is going to look like. But it is a phenomena that is beyond our comprehension because nobody has ever experienced this yet. And for that reason, Jesus uses a lot of pictures to paint. It's going to be like this. It's going to look like this. And, And in fact, throughout the entire New Testament and culminating in the last book, the book of Revelation, There are quite descriptive pictures of the second coming of Christ, not not what is called the rapture or the taking out of the church, but the second coming of Christ. And when you read the book of Revelation, and particularly in in the first part of the book of Revelation, and you see Christ on this white stallion and his eyes blazing like fire and a sword coming from his mouth. This is not the low and meek Jesus that some people paint him to be. This is the reality of a coming king. And all those things are mind-blowing and wonderful, but when Jesus said, you must be ready, we're going to back up and look at the, um, the, the verses, the passages before this statement, this non-negotiable statement, and it's as if Jesus pulls out all the stops in the, pic- in the picture painting. He uses imagery after image after image after image to give us a, a sense of how to be ready. Because I don't want to walk out of the building this morning and think, man, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what it's going to sound like. Okay, that's all well and good. But Jesus is more concerned with how are you going to live as, as ready people? How should we live if if we're living in a state of readiness? And because he's so compassionate, there's so much compassion in Christ that I think you have to feel in between the lines. I often find the compassion of God coming through in, in this way, like here's something that's mind blowing. I understand you don't fully get it. I know you've never experienced it. And for that reason, let me get on your level and try to say, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like this. And here's how you should live. And, and let me give you a picture of how that, so that hopefully he's speaking to us saying, oh, I get it. That's how that's how we should live. So watch this. We're going to back up. We, we The statement is in Luke chapter 12 and verse 40. So we're going to back up a few verses, um, Luke chapter 12, verse 35, and I've underlined all of the imagery in this one little paragraph. Look at the pictures he's trying to paint to tell us how to be ready for his coming. So verse 35 of Luke chapter 12, stay dressed, that's our first picture, for action. Keep your lamps burning, second picture. And be like men who are waiting for their master, third picture, to come home from a wedding feast, fourth picture, so that you may open the door to him, fifth picture at once when he comes and knocks. Verse 37, blessed are those servants who the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, He would not have left his house to be broken into. Now, here's the statement again. You also must be ready. Based on all these things, you must live ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Now, there is some beautiful imagery that we have to dig down a little bit in the culture to understand the fullness and the power punch behind it. Let me give you an example. Let's start with the first one. The first one says, stay dressed for action, okay. So many of the versions in the English uh, the Bibles will say, uh, "Gird up your loins." All right. So, in everyday language, it's been quite a while since I used that language. Like, hey, Bob, uh, hey, gird up your loins. See you Thursday. You know, okay. Who, who says that? Gird up your loins. It almost sounds like something I shouldn't be saying in church. Hey, gird up your loins. Hey, I can't believe you said that. All right. So here, <laughs> that's crazy. Here's the meaning of it. Like, what in the world does that mean? Dress for action, like wear athletic gear? No, Jesus is like, let me give you, what, let me give you a cultural sense. Because when they were listening, they are like, I got it. In that day, men wore robes. That was the, that was the attire that they, they, they wore. If you were going to run in a long robe, Guess what's going to happen? You're going to trip. So gird up your loins meant that the men would reach down, grab the bottom of the robe, and tuck it in their belt. I guess it would be like you know trying to keep your shirt tail tucked in. I don't know if you noticed, but I've given up on that. I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, your shirt tail's untucked. Yes, thank you, it is. But in that day, if they didn't, it would trip them up. I'll give you an example. You remember in the pa- at the Passover, back in Exodus uh, chapter 12, God was giving them the same message. I'm going to call you at a moment's notice. And at a moment's notice, you've got to be ready to move. I'm not, we're not going to put it on the calendar. We're not going to give you a specific date. But when I say move, we're going to move. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11, this is how he describes it. This is how God is speaking to them. This is how you are to eat the Passover. With your cloak tucked in your belt, and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. In other words, eat ready, be ready. Later, later in the Bible, Elisha uh, is saying, uh, "You got to, to a servant, you got to run." He says, "Tuck in your cloak." You remember the the prodigal son's father when the prodigal came back that the father ran. That was an act of humility, not because he was just running, but because it was a humbling experience for a man to reach down and show his legs so that he could tuck in his, he could tuck in his robe. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to live ready, you have to, be, you have to take inventory of those things that are going to trip you up that are going to entangle you, that are going to get caught up in your feet. And those things for you, you've got to, you've got to reach down in humility and say, I, I, there's something that's, that is tripping me up in my life that's consuming me, and I'm going to tuck it away. It might be something great. We often get tangled up by things that are great, don't we? I can get consumed with my kids their assignments, their work, or their school—all those things, what they uh, they want to do, and their activities—and all of a sudden, there are many parents who are wearing the long robe of their children. It can be our work, it can be worry, it can be sickness, it can be it can be jobs. Things can tangle it up, and here's the thing about um, being entangled. I don't know about you, but this is where I land. I often don't see it coming. I don't recognize that I'm entangled until after I'm entangled. Do you, do you connect with that? And usually it's not like, whoa, that's going to entangle me. There's some obvious things. But there's more subtle things in life. They, they tend to, like, trip, trip you up only in the moment. And then it's like, how did, I, how did I get wrapped up in that? And so what Christ is saying, hey, don't allow the things of this world, the things that bother you, the things that worry you, the things that will consume you to get yourself wrapped up. In fact, Paul addressed this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 4, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. You see, we are soldiers for Christ and we're living for a kingdom, not of this earth. And what Paul is saying is, If if you have that mindset, you're not going to get entangled by the civilian pursuits since his aim is to please Christ, the one who enlisted him. The original of be ready, by the way, the original um, transliteration reads like this. Be the kind of person who never needs to be told to gird up his loins because they are always girded up. That's what the original means. So that we don't have to we don't have to keep reminding you, hey, don't don't forget Jesus is coming. Don't forget, hey, you're you're getting tangled again. There's this expectation that Jesus says, you must be ready. These are the things that I, I kind of regret when we change languages, because we understand English, but in the original language there's so much there and And the Bible doesn't use italicized words, that's how we, and underline words, that's how we show emphasis. But if you were to read the original Greek and what Jesus is saying, the word that's emphasized most is the word you. You must be ready. You must be ready. In other words, it's your robe. It's your junk. It's your t- t- stuff. It's your worry. It's your sickness. It's your consuming stuff that you, you got. Nobody can reach down and pull, pull your robe and tuck it in for you. This is what we tell our kids all the time, right? Tucking your, t- your shirt. I mean, they used to. Now we don't. <laughs> it's all hanging out. You know, t T-shirt. But God is saying, Christ is saying to us, you must be ready. Nobody can tuck your robe in for you. You must be ready. Here's the second thing. Keep your lamps burning. Again, back in the culture, it was oil that kept the lamps burning. And Christ is saying, when your lamps go down, that means the oil is light. And in the Bible, oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, we read this. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It can be a very confusing verse because do you is that is the Bible saying, hey, we got to get more and more and more of the Spirit? Because again, the original language means be topped off with the Spirit. Be constantly topped off with the Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? When I, when I became a Christian, I kind of got a discounted version of the Spirit? Like I got like 30%? I got to keep tanking up? No. We got all of the Spirit of God when, in, in us when we came to Christ. But what happens over time, left unattended, ourself begins to take more control than the Spirit. And so what happens, this, this is where I, there are moments where I deeply connect as human beings, because all of us have this sense of, of busyness, of being consumed, of overload. I mean, all, all, most people I know, even retired, if you're retired, I, sometimes you're busier than the rest of us. There's just activities and appointments and this, that, and the other. And what can happen over time is that God gets, can get edged out to second fiddle or maybe third or fourth or fifth fiddle. And there's not a person in this room that can say, I have walked with God perfectly and consistently. Every single day, I mean, just right, 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 right on schedule. There's not a single one of us, if we're being honest. And when you keep this in mind, for me, and I think, you know, because I'm a human being, I, I relate to, you know, we're on the same level. It's in those moments, days, weeks, months, chapters, whatever that might be, when I have not been consistent with God to keep that oil at the highest, that the spirit of God at the, the forefront, that if you said to me in those moments, those weeks, those cha- chapters, those days, months, whatever it might be, are you eager for Jesus? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I'm not. There's not that sense of like, oh, he's coming. He's coming. And what Christ is saying is, look, your faith is going to be boring. When people say, I think going to church is boring, that has nothing to do with church. It could, I mean, maybe this is boring for you, but, <laughs> but it's not that. It's, it's what's happening in your relationship with God. I, I, I tell this story from time to time, but I grew up in, in 18 years of church and didn't know Christ at all. I had no personal relationship with God at all. I went to college, and a few years later came to Christ where the Spirit of God was living in me. I went back to the same church I was grow, uh, grow, uh, grew up in, had been there for 18 years. It was Christmas break. I was on Christmas break in college, singing Joy to the World, and I had tears running down my eyes. I had sung Joy to the World for years. Two decades I have sung that song. But see, something else happened in me supernaturally that the Spirit of God was living in me. And once the Spirit of God is living in you, there's an eagerness, but it is possible to quench the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to go lower in your life. May I ask you, are you eager for Christ to return? And if not, perhaps you would take inventory like, how is my constancy with God? I am not asking you about your perfection. I'm not asking you, are you obeying the Ten Commandments? I'm saying, are you meeting with God? And I'm not saying just chatting on the way to work. Are you meeting with God and saying, God, once again, I'm here to surrender for me to become less so that the Spirit of God can become more. I don't get more of the Spirit, but it can become more in my life, can reign more in my life. Those are the moments where I can't wait for Jesus to come back. When I'm low on oil, not only am I not eager, I'm a little bit hesitant that he might come back. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe not today would not be a good day. So, uh, Jesus being very uh, picturesque. Uh, third thing, Jesus says, if Christ comes in the second watch or in the third, and He finds us awake, blessed are those kinds of servants. Now, again, we don't talk in terms of watches. Uh, like, hey, I see you in the third watch, maybe first watch. That's a restaurant, but um, but not you know. In those days, they had different watches. What we do have is what's called twilights. I don't know if you knew that. But imagine in a summer like we are now and it, uh, in Florida, and it's around 8.30-ish, th- things begin to get darker. And then there's a different darkness at 9.30, and there's a different darkness at midnight and it's all based on the degree of uh, the degrees of the sun that you know how far the sun has gone you know past the horizon and all that there're fancy words for this i brought them in this morning for you civil twilight nautical twilight and astronomical twilight each of these have different words civil means practical that you can still see things you can still read things in fact i brought some definitions uh, for you this morning and just i just want you to I want you to um, picture this, okay? Here's what Jesus is saying. Darkness is gradual. Darkness is gradual. In our lives, when there are those secret things that overtake us, and, and all of us have had them, and maybe still do, things that we would be ashamed about standing right now and saying, hey, let me tell you mine. Um I don't think there's a person would say yeah it just happens just like that. Darkness moves in gradually. Listen carefully. The same thing happens in a culture. Let's take prayer out of schools. Let's see what happens. Well, we're seeing what happens. It's a gradual thing. Let's legalize abortion. Let's see how that goes. Let's kill millions of babies and let's just see what happens to a culture. And it happens through this big fancy word called normalization. Things that we would have been appalled over four or five decades ago. Now, you, you, I love New York City. I love the restaurants. We saw a, a, you know, My Fair Lady and it's had a, had a great time. But I'm telling you, It is a vivid picture of the normalization of sin. Things that used to be like, wow, are now on billboards. Everywhere. Everywhere. So check this out. See if you relate. Civil twilight. On the ground, you can still see everything clearly without extra illumination. You can still read a book, for example. Towards the end of this period, car headlamps... Need to be switched on and street lamps will be lit. You see, I look at that and think, see, there used to be a time in our culture where reading the Bible out loud and having it, you know, openly displayed, no problem, lots of light. But the darker it gets, you can't read it anymore. And more light is needed, not light to be more quiet. The darker it gets, the more light is needed. Watch what happens at the nautical twilight. On the ground, light now is faded, and objects become hard to distinguish from the background or each other. In other words, as, as darkness takes over, even in our own minds, we justify things. We're like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's not so bad. It's so gradual and so subtle. They seem like more like silhouettes, You'll need additional lighting to carry on outdoor activities. Your color seeing gives way to shades of gray, and there's no longer enough light for your eyes to see color. I just went into a city where there are many gray items. And to be able to say in our day and age, to be a light in this world, not a pointing finger of judgment, But a light in this world to express the heart of God from the word of God is becoming less diminished and you look like a narrow-minded idiot if you stand on the word of God. More light is needed. Why? So that we can tell people how wrong they are? You better believe it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Of course not. More light is needed because we believe and have experienced life in the light. For those of us that lived and didn't come to Christ until later in our life, we didn't even know we were living in darkness because darkness is so subtle. And if you were to say, would you take your life back before Christ and exchange it for the one you have right now, how many in this room would say, yeah, I'd do that. Yeah, I'll take my life in Christ and compare it to the life before Christ, and I'll take the life before Christ. Anybody in the room, I invite you. Of course not. This is where compassion comes in. We live in a culture that darkness has so subtly overtaken through normalization that it's hard to distinguish any items anymore, what's right or wrong, what's God's or what's not God's. And for us, it is an opportunity to add extra light. But you might ask yourself the question, a very private question, by the way, is there some darkness that has overtaken my life where I can't even tell what's right or wrong anymore? And if you were to look into your soul, this is not about obeying the Ten Commandments or blah, blah, blah. This is about being ignited with God and having this vibrant rhythm with God rather than Yeah, man, this doesn't feel right. There's something off. Because then we reach this astronomical twilight on the ground. It's what we call night. It's truly dark. You will perhaps see the sky as dark blue or off black at the horizon nearest the sun. Watch this. At this point, there's no definition of any objects except by the reflecting light from the moon. I've heard it said that the moon is like the church. That we don't have light of ourselves, but we reflect the light of the sun. Listen, Christ is calling us to be ready. Sometimes it's the He's saying, "Hey, be careful. Take inventory. Is there something that's tripping you up right now? Is there something that that is, is in your life that's consuming you?" He's saying, "Is how about your walk with God? Is it consistent? Is the lamp, is the oil high? Or perhaps..." There's some some kind of subtle darkness that has crept in, and man, it's blocking your way. It's eclipsing your eagerness to see Jesus. And one more, uh, as we close, one more. Jesus uses this um, in, uh, this analogy: if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now, in that day, they didn't make houses out of cinder block. Most of them were made out of mud. And this breaking in is a gradual thing. If someone broke into your house, they would just gradually peel away the mud. Our enemy who hates you, our enemy comes to to rip you off of the valuable things in your life. See, you might have thought that your marriage was just a love story. It's more than that. It's a picture between a bride and a bridegroom, between Christ and his church. You see, your enemy wants to steal that. He wants to rob your marriage, not just because of the relationship, but because of what it represents to others. The things that, that happen in churches, the, 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 the meaningless uh, arguments and debates that can happen in a church, it's just not about those things. It's about the reputation of Christ's church into the world, you see, and we can get so caught up in these types of things that Christ is saying, guard against an enemy who wants to rip off the most valuable things of your life. In fact, Paul, again, wrote, writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verse 20, guard what has been entrusted to your care. I wonder if there's something where you've dropped your guard on, you say, ah, man, I've, I've dropped it. So I want to take a look at this list And I want you to see from this list, if we can go to the the next screen, these four things that Jesus pictures, I want you to see the constancy in all of them. Stay dressed for action. In other words, don't just dress like the prom, you know, it's a one-time deal, take some photos, and then, you know, turn the dress in. Stay dressed for action. Detangle yourself from whatever that is Constantly keep your lamps burning constantly. Be found away constantly. Stay guarded constantly. And in my mind, as we kind of land this thing this morning, this conversation, in my mind, the very thing that Christ is telling us to do in constancy is also the greatest challenge. It's tough, you know, for, for guys that, you know, tuck your shirt tail in. It's tough to keep it in, is it not? You sit down, and it, it just kind of unravels. And it's, it's a constant, you know, that's why I, you know, I just keep mine out. <laughs> but you, you constantly, there are things that want that, to that trip us up. There are things that want that, to that consume us. There are things that want to um, take us over. So let me be real, you know, because I think those things for you, you may think, are you just talking about big concepts? No, it could be small things. I was in a minor accident, car accident, uh, about five or six weeks ago. Super super minor. Uh, okay, the guy is coming after me. So, you know, I got the letter from Morgan and Morgan. I'm like, here we go. Okay? Um, there is this little civil war going on. I'm sharing this with you because I may need some character witnesses. So, just... <laughs> Like to hear my side of the story before we get going. No, kidding. Um, there's this thing in me that you have to. It's called worry. And I find these moments coming over me, like, "Oh my gosh, what happens if blah 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 blah? How much insurance do I have? Is it gonna? You know, what happens if I? You know, I'm on I'm the phone. What happens if we exceed the number that I have? Well, then we go after your house." Awesome. Loving that. So I get home uh, from vacation, there's the letter from the lawyer, and everything in me wants to worry. Everything in me for the last four or five weeks has been wants to be consumed. And every time, I'm telling you this because I want you to know that everybody struggles. Whatever your thing is, it's common. And there's everything in me that's just going to go, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And every time I have to fight it, God, I don't, there are too many amazing things going on right now. And I don't want to be consumed with this. And you've told me that you're going to take care of me no matter what. And it may not even go great, but even still, God, this is not going to be my focus. Now, I wish I could, have, I wish I could get up on a Sunday morning and say, hey, you know what? I had that prayer five weeks ago, and I haven't worried since. I don't know what's wrong with you people, right? It doesn't work that way. Why? There is a constancy that is required. A constancy to say, man, there it is again. I'm entangled. There it is again. I've dropped my guard. There it is again. I'm not walking with God. There it is again. That the emphasis, again, is you must be ready. You must be ready. You must be ready. You must be ready. Nobody can ready for you. When I pack for a trip, guess who packs for me? No one. You know who we pack for? Children. And Christ is saying, you got to grow up. You got to ready yourself. You must be ready ready. So we're going to pray today, and I'm going to invite you to take inventory between you and God. And, and I, I'm doing this because I think occasionally um, it's, it's good to say, God, let me just, let me pause here while we're together, while the Word of God is fresh, because when we get into the parking lot, we we start driving home. Then we're getting ready for other things, and to, to take while while the the bread of of the word of God is fresh, it's not the same sometimes. By the time you get home, to say I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little inventory. So let's spend some time in prayer. I'm gonna give you some time just to pray. Don't be awkward with it. Just we're gonna sit here. It's going to be silent and we're going to pray and just inviting you to ask yourself God is there something I'm entangled with God I'd like to let's just take some inventory of my constancy and my walk with you how's that going is there some darkness that has that gradually overtaken me and has got a hold of me or maybe I'm going too far here and have I dropped my guard Am I eager? Am I ready, God? So we're going to have some silent prayer. That at the, uh, some point in time, you'll hear a little music, so you kind of know to, to to hold up your time with God, and then we'll and then I'll close us in prayer. Sound fair? let's take some inventory. God, we're we're just here, God, to begin to uh, just to capture this moment of this directive from Jesus, non-negotiable, you must be ready. And so, Father, we're, we just ask you, search our heart, God. While the, the, the bread of the word of God is fresh, search our heart and uh, help us to be honest before you. We're so grateful for um, the promise that we have, the guarantee of Jesus coming back for us to meet us, to reign. And God, this, this guarantee is sealed with the resurrection as evidence, God, of the reality of, of Christ's return. So many beautiful mind-blowing pictures, God, that you've given to us out of compassion. Not only what it will look like and sound like and with trumpets and stallions and the visuals and the audibles, God, are just stunning. But out of compassion, God, you've told us uh, painted pictures for us of how to live as ready people. And God, we're we're deeply grateful that you've walked this earth so that you understand that our frailty, our inconsistencies, God, you get us. And that is just uh, uh, profoundly uh, meaningful, God, to us in our lives. And so we thank you for that. Thanks for getting us. And so whatever has been prayed today and... these meetings, these personal meetings with you it's stunning God that you can hear every syllable, every whisper of every heart that you've created here in this room and so God uh, whether it's been things that have entangled us or consumed us or worried us whether it's been um, our inconsistency in, in meeting with you and walking with you or letting our guard down God or um, or allowing darkness to subtly come in to, to, to take us to places that we never dreamt of being whatever those things are God thanks for hearing it thanks for getting it and thanks God for the power that you offer to us God to live differently to ready us you've placed the emphasis the way that you said it Jesus on the word you which lays on us the burden that we cannot lay on anyone else so father we pray that as we walk out of this building that this will not this sense will not fade this commitment that we've made to you will not fade Otherwise, God, we're just practicing worthless religion. So, God, would you keep this aflame, but would you also empower us to to live through the the commitment? Left to our own effort, God, uh, we'll fail. So we crucify ourselves with you, God, and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Before we leave today, God, there perhaps are those friends with us today who have not readied themselves for the kingdom of God to come because their soul is still away from you. They're they're broken from you, God. And they've never come to a place where they have surrendered their life to Christ to accept the forgiveness that he offers that came through the cross and the, and the blood that he shed to cleanse us as a perfect spotless lamb, to cleanse us, to wash us free of every sin, to empower us to, to ignite a new life, a new birth. There are some today perhaps that have never experienced a new birth, a new life in Christ that he offers because he has come back from the dead and can do that. Father, we pray for, for that person that may say, I have never accepted Christ. I've never given my life to Christ. I've never surrendered my will to his. And I need a Savior today. I need a Savior. And in this very private moment of prayer, I wonder if that's you. I wonder if God has literally gotten a hold of your inner self today and said, it's time. It's time for us to bridge the gap. And by faith, this is the moment for you to say, God, by faith, I'm not going to get... I'm not going to be ready by my own effort. I'm going to be ready for heaven only through Jesus and what he's done. I'm in need of a Savior today. I wonder in this quiet moment of prayer, we're we're all praying that there's not a single person, a Christian in this room, that didn't didn't come across and come upon uh, upon this intersection where we accept it. Christ I wonder in this room if that's you today that you'd say I want I want Christ in my life I want to be ready for heaven and I know I can't do it on my own I want to be ready I've never accepted Christ and I want to I want to come to him today I wonder if that's you it's just a simple it's a simple act of faith show to God, I wonder if you would raise your hand to heaven and say, that's me today. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody in this room that would lift their hand to heaven and say, I want to pray. I want to ask Christ privately. We wouldn't point you out or embarrass you. Thank you. Thank you so much in the back. Thank you. You can put your hand down. God has told us that heaven rejoices. Angels are celebrating for everyone that turns their life to Christ. Is that you today? Is there anyone else before we close our time? If God is moving in you, I can't thank you. Thank you so much. If God is moving in you, I can't urge you enough to not ignore him, to, to embrace him. He loves you so, so deeply. Anyone else before we close our time in prayer? Thank you. Thank you so much. Anyone else that wants to join these? Heaven is absolutely rejoicing. If you've raised your hand today, in your own heart, your own words, would you say uh, to God, "God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. You know that. I know that. And I need the forgiveness that can only come through Christ, the only, the only Savior of the world. And I, 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 God, I receive that today." I embrace that today, not my own effort, but I embrace the gift of salvation through Christ. And now, God, I commit my life. I want to follow you. I want to to lean into your heart. I don't want to live my life the way I want to live it. God, I want to live my life the way you want it. And on this very day, God, I'm asking that you ignite a new life Father, I, I, give you, I give you who I am right now. Just as I am, I give you who I am right now. Come into my life and bring a, a new birth. Father, we are so grateful, God, for, for followers of Christ committing to you today, for people seeking you, finding you, committing their lives how grateful we are, God, that you are still moving. And for that reason, God, we are eager. God, come today. Come today, God. We're eager for your coming. And in the meantime, help us to live ready. As twilight takes this world, this culture, God, help us to be the lights. And help us these words to ring through our hearts and minds throughout this week. You must be We ask it in Jesus' name.